Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. This podcast was recorded at our last gathering. Teaching like this is how we worship together every other week. We look to the scriptures seeking to become more like Christ. We're glad you're listening. So today's a big day for us. Palm Sunday. If, uh, if next week is like Super Bowl Sunday with the birds playing, today would be the NFC title game with the birds in it. And... Um, so it's, it's not like way, way up there, but man, is it close. Um, so for us as Christians, we, uh, we celebrate today as, as the beginning of the final week of Jesus' life before his death, burial, and resurrection. Today is known as Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday, the start of Holy Week, or the day that Jesus triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem. And where we want to focus on today is that idea of the triumphal entry. And maybe address some of the misconceptions, misunderstandings, or even some of the misplaced expectations the Jews had about this entry and uh, what it represented. You see, this entry was supposed to usher in this new Jewish kingdom. They thought for sure, here's the son of David, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. We're back, baby. We are back. He's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to return us to a regional superpower. I mean, it's the heir of David. You know, this is the guy we've been waiting for. I'm sure they thought, man, we're going back to the good old days. We all love the good old days, don't we? But I'm sorry to say, Jesus doesn't really care for the good old days. No, in fact, what Jesus is doing here is instituting a new upside-down kingdom. One that does not conquer with military might, look to improve our position in society, give us money, power, or success. No, that's not what he's looking for. Instead, he comes to usher in the kingdom that causes us to carry a cross to die daily, and to love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. This is the type of kingdom that no one was really expecting, but that everyone needed and still does. Jesus is the king that we need. And just to quick heads up, um, we're going to be camping out in Luke today, but we're also going to be doing a little bit of jumping around. And I had some slides but thanks to technology, we no longer have those slides. Um, so when I start to jump around, especially like Ezekiel and Zechariah and things like that, um, you guys can just stay put in Luke. And um, if you want to jot down maybe the, um, the references, that'd be, that'd be good. And uh, the reason that we are going to be jumping around is because Jesus is going to be fulfilling a lot of prophecy this morning. And what I, uh, when I say prophecy, what I, what I mean is that about 500 plus years ago, No, I'm sorry, 500 plus years before the time of Jesus, so about 2,500 years ago, the prophets of Israel, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, made some claims about the Messiah, the deliverer of the Jews. And Jesus is going to show how he fulfills that role. And maybe one more thing about prophecy is that prophecy can take different forms, like a word of knowledge or a looking into the future, and that's that's really what makes it so important. Um, It can really help us make sense of things that are a little unclear. And that's what I hope to help us out with here today is 
using this fulfilled prophecy to make sense of that entry. And maybe not only that, but it helps us, makes, makes, uh, it helps us to, to defend what we believe. That way, when we make claims like Jesus was the Messiah, we can point to these prophecies and know that we make those claims legitimately. So let's get into the text. Like I said, I'll be reading out of Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. If you can please stand with me for the reading of the scriptures. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found, found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise with God began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that, he had, that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd had said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. For now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus, I pray that as we listen to the words that you have for us, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our ears, that you would open up our hearts to receive what you have for us. Amen. You may be seated. So let's begin with the first scene. 28 to 31. So out of the few different things that are happening here in this scene, I want to focus on the, Jesus, on the uh, animal that Jesus chose to ride in on. Now, you would expect the conquering king to approach the, the city that they're going to conquer in maybe like a big, awesome chariot, big white horse, like something really big and awesome and, spe and spectacular. I mean, after all, king deserves this much, right? And if you read through any of the history books, you'll notice that when a conquering king would come into a town, it would have looked a lot like this. Now, this isn't what they were expecting because the Jews knew their Bible. 
But I wonder if this isn't how they actually viewed Jesus. I mean, look how awesome this is. Golden chariot. Got a guy down here carrying his plunder. Cherubim with the crown over the king's head. It's an awesome sight. I wonder if this isn't what I want Jesus to look like in my life sometimes. When I want to just make all my problems go away. But that's not how Jesus came. Jesus didn't choose a big white horse or a chariot. He chose a colt. Just a tiny thing. Never been used. You could imagine, like, this little animal, could it even bear the weight of a fully grown man? But the significant thing to take away is that the never-before-used colt implies a kind of purity that destines an animal for a sacred task. Whether the people knew it or not, Jesus is giving them a glimpse into the type of king that he is, one who is willing to die for his people, one who is willing to commit a sacred task. So this is instead what they got. Jesus, running in on a little cult, humble, meek, peaceful. And when I look at it, I kind of I kind of think it looks a little funny. The little cult, big man. You know, he, he, he looks almost like, almost silly, but Jesus doesn't care what he looks like. I think that's important to remember. It's something, it's, it's also important to recognize that there's something more than Jesus simply writing in humbly and meek and peaceful. He's also fulfilling prophecy. Matthew tells us in his gospel in chapter 21, verses 4 and 5, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. What a burden Jesus carried. That prophecy can be found in Zechariah 9 9. And back to the picture of Jesus. Luke 19, verses 35 to 37, tell us exactly what's happening in this scene. First, they threw their cloaks on the colt and on the road. So what was the point of this? Like, are they just, are they paying homage to the king? Are they being chivalrous? You know, like when a man would throw his coat on like a puddle or mud so that the lady wouldn't get her shoes dirty and maybe nowadays vice versa. Um... No, they were doing a little bit more than this. They were saying, we submit to you, O king. This is a sign of submission. But what's interesting is that in a couple of days, they're going to change their tune. Once Jesus doesn't behave like the king they want, they change their tune. And oh, how quickly we change our tune when Jesus doesn't behave the way that we want him to. A second thing to notice about that scene is that Jesus came down from the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives is east of Jerusalem. And I know Doug in the past has mentioned like the importance of east and west when it comes to scripture. Like for instance, when Adam and Eve had to leave the garden, they went east, like they were cast out east. And this is a pattern that you see a lot in scripture. And Luke is keeping up with that motif. He's telling us the direction that he came from with a purpose in mind. 
Like I said, the Mount of Olives is east of Jerusalem. And this means that according to many scholars, Jesus entered through the Eastern Gate or what is known as the Golden Gate. And why is this important? Because again, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. And check this out. In Ezekiel 10 and 11, and I'm just going to paraphrase here. The prophet tells of a vision where he saw the glory of the Lord leave the temple. Which way do you think it went? East. Went to the entrance of the Eastern Gate. And then in chapter 11, where does it go from there? It goes to the mountain that is to the east side of the city, the Mount of Olives, and that's where it rested. That's Ezekiel 10 and 11. So when Luke tells us that Jesus came down from the Mount of Olives from the east, this is what he's saying. That here we see the glory of the Lord coming right back the same way it left, to the temple. In Jesus, we see the glory of the Lord returning to the temple. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. A little bit more from Ezekiel chapter 43. Then he led me to the gate and the gate facing east. And behold, the glory of God, of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone with his glory. This is a triumphal entry 500 years before it happened. 500 years before it happened. Let that sink in. So as we move along in the story, verses 37 to 38, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Think of Ezekiel's vision, the sound of many waters. For all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, except for the words, the king, this was a very common phrase uh, during Passover. This was, uh, this was used to welcome all the folks that were coming into town from out of Jerusalem. But for a little bit more insight, we'll turn to John's gospel. In chapter 12, he says, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Hosanna. There's two important things to know here. The palm branches. You see, the palm branches were used as a nationalistic symbol for the Jews and was used to celebrate military victories. And also, they probably stirred up some political messianic hopes for the people. And two, they were shouting Hosanna, which means, oh, save or save us. So when you combine these two things together, you begin to understand that what kind of king the people thought they were getting. They thought Jesus was coming to save them by way of military overthrow, a coup, if you would. Again, the crowd had misplaced their expectations. You see, Jesus was not a revolutionary in that sense. He never looked to overthrow, cover, to overthrow governments. His mission had a deeper, more significant meaning. He didn't come to deliver his people from the oppression of Rome, but from the oppression of sin and death. That's the oppression he came to deliver from. And back to Luke. The next part, 
very significant. It's, it's something that really, I don't know, it really spoke to me as I kept reading and reading and studying. And I think that if we read too quickly, we do kind of skim over it and think it's just the weird thing that Jesus says, because he says a lot of weird things. Verses 39 and 40. So after hearing the crowds and what they were saying, calling Jesus the king, the Pharisees told Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. I think it's a weird statement. Like you don't really hear of stones crying out, talking. I mean, they just fall, you know, that's what stones do. Um, I'm thinking maybe Jesus was up on that little donkey a little too long, you know? But here's what I think he's saying, and I am no scholar, okay? But this is what I think he's saying. I think Jesus is saying, my kingship is not dependent on the people. I'm king whether you believe it or not. If you don't want to acknowledge my kingship, the rest of the universe will. The stones will cry out. That's the kind of king we serve. You see, and this might be a hard pill for us to swallow, but Jesus does not need us. Jesus does not need us to be in a relationship with him. But he wants it. He doesn't need it, but he desires it. And how do we know this? We look to the extent which he went on Friday. We look to the cross. Jesus desires a relationship with us, though he doesn't need it. And now, the final part of the scene that I want to look at, verses 41 to 44. I had slides for all this, I promise. I really did. I was, I was super prepared, but Doug didn't do something right, and, you know. <laughs> so, this would have been up there. <laughs> this is good. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, verses 41 to 44, the story takes, like, a really sad turn, and honestly, like, dark, really. Um, Jesus weeps for Jerusalem. And this seems kind of like an odd place to put this, right? Because we're in the middle of this excitement celebration. Like, people are cheering. People think things are going to change. And, like, there's just this, like, the atmosphere is just like man, this is awesome. Let's celebrate. Let's wave stuff around. And in the middle of that, Jesus weeps. And he foretells of the doom to come to Jerusalem. He prophesies of the doom that's going to come to Jerusalem. And why doom? Why does doom have to visit Jerusalem? Why does doom have to visit it? Well, the answer to that is found at the tail end of verse 44, where Jesus says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And there's two things to know here. There's always two things to know, at least. When we reject Jesus, it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart when we reject him. It causes him to weep. That's the kind of king that he is. And what's interesting to note, 
Jesus knew he would be rejected. That's why he was weeping before he even got to the city. He knew this was coming. He knew he was going to be rejected by the, the saved, the people he came to deliver. The people shouting out, Hosanna. People saying, save us. We're going to reject him. But this does not stop him from willingly going to the cross of Calvary for them, for us. And though we reject him even today, it doesn't keep him from wanting relationship with us. This is the king that we need. Everybody doing all right? We good? So before we kind of like apply this to what it means to us today, let's just recap really quickly. Again, two points. One, Jesus was the Messiah that people were expecting. Jesus went ahead and fulfilled not only the prophecies mentioned today, but many other prophecies. Jesus was not full of it. He wasn't just some happy or some hippie teacher going around from place to place, spreading his message. He was the expectant deliverer of his people. Jesus was the king that they needed. And two, though the people were expecting a conquering king ready to deliver from the oppression of Roman rule, they got something else entirely. They got a king peaceful and humble, ready to deliver them, and not only them, but us as well. And then something to note, like Jesus didn't only come to deliver us from something, he came to deliver us to something. Jesus came to deliver us into a loving relationship with the Father. Jesus came to deliver us to our true humanity, who he initially created us to be. Jesus came to deliver us to the relationship that was lost in the garden. So, so what, right? That's kind of what we want to know. What do we do in light of this, in light of what we've hopefully learned here this morning? I think, first of all, what we need to do is not kid ourselves. We are the people in the crowd. We can be the people in the crowd. I am often the man in the crowd. And what I mean by this is that sometimes we have the wrong expectation. And if I can be transparent with you, I often do this in my life. Like when... Uh, me or my family are going through things, you know, trials, if you would, when we're in the desert. When I am in the wounded life, if I could use a discipleship term, I think it's his responsibility as my king to put me back into the managed life. It's his responsibility to take me back to the good old days. And if he doesn't deliver the way that I expect him to, I'm ready to dethrone and put myself back up. When instead, what I should be doing is letting the Holy Spirit examine my heart and reveal to me what the king is attempting to form in me and through me in this situation. That's what I should be doing, allowing him 
to be king of my life. How else are we like the crowd? How else am I like the crowd? Maybe like the crowd when we disagree with what Jesus has to say, we're ready to take the crown off of his head. Like for me, when Jesus says things like, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I no longer want to be king. I think to myself, you have no idea what that person did to me, Jesus. There's no way you can be king. You have no idea how that person has hurt me. I got it, Jesus. I'll take it from here. Or maybe when Jesus says, what I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And of course, I'm not just talking to men here, right? It's everyone. When Jesus sets these standards for us, are we willing to allow him to remain king? That's the question. And with that, I'd like to leave us with a challenge. The challenge is this. Live your lives trusting the king. No matter what situation you're presented with this week, live trusting the king that is worthy of our trust. And not just because he fulfilled so much prophecy, but because of the extent that he went to show us his trustworthiness. The king laid his life down for me, for you, Doug, for you, Cindy, for you, Mike, for you, Brandy, for you, Ben. That's the kind of king that we serve. And he did this all so that we can enter a loving relationship with him. That's the king we need. I mean, that's all I got for today. That's all, you know? But two more things. <laughs> the kids are going to come back waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. I think it'd be very appropriate if we joined in with them. And not, we're not going to be shouting it because we think that Jesus is here to deliver us from some kind of oppressive government. Or, you know, there's going to be some military overthrow. No, no, no. Because we believe that he came to set us free from the real oppression, the oppression of sin and death. That's what Jesus came for. So as they come in, don't be afraid to shout out Hosanna. And know that you're doing it for the right reasons. And also, if you haven't made like Jesus king of your life, or if you're like struggling with like what that looks like, or how do you go about that? After the service, we're going to have people up here to pray with, like to pray with you and join in you, join with you in that. And I would just encourage you, if, even if you're just having a hard time viewing him as your king, um, I would encourage you to come up for that. So um, thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.